I heard a couple, I heard a good story from a friend of mine this morning. He said he made a bird sculpture. He took a can and put it on top of another can. It's a toucan. <laughs> heard another one this morning. What do you, what do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. <laughs> Funny, eh? Kind of a strange way to start a sermon, you'd think, right? But there's a reason for it, and it's kind of, and it's interesting because I'm not actually going to preach on the entirety of what was read this morning. I'm preaching on one verse. The first verse there, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. That's it. And the reason I'm interested in what you just heard, those couple of jokes, is because both of them play on something that almost all dad jokes play on. It's called a homonym. It's something in English where it's the same word. It looks like the same word. Often it sounds like the same word, but depending on the context you're looking at, it can mean something completely different. Now, I taught English for seven years in South Korea, and I know that those, these are really, really hard for non-English speakers, but almost every language has them, including Hebrew. And you're seeing one of them at the beginning of the book of Nahum, where it says there, an oracle concerning Nineveh. If you're looking at a King James or an NASB, it's going to be translated something a little differently. It's going to be translated... And the burden of Nineveh. And that's actually the title of my sermon, The Burden of Nineveh. Why would you call something like this, an oracle, a statement, a burden? In English, uh, we actually use burden as, a double, uh, as multiple uses as well. Uh, I, I, I can have a burden for a people group. I can have a burden to tell the truth. And also, when I'm carrying the fridge up the stairs, I'm carrying a burden. It means something weighty, something that, that you have to move, and it's, it's, it's heavy. And that's what we're seeing here. And you can kind of understand where we get the view of these different things. Uh, I watched a video this week on YouTube uh, by a guy, well, it's not by the guy, but it's from the Oxford Union Debates. And if you don't know what those are, it's basically a, a snazzy place in Oxford, at the University of Oxford, where they get together and they have discussions of topics before the people. And the, these debates are usually pretty controversial. And this, this video I watched was the speech by a guy named Calvin Robinson while he was defending traditional marriage in the midst of the popular culture today. Uh, he, he talks about, at the beginning of it, how he has been anxious about this, but he felt that he had to do it. It was a burden. In fact, he finishes with, with a, a phrase from a guy named Athanasius who had a similar situation. Uh, again, a situation where the world seemed to all believe one thing, and Athanasius believed something different to be true. And the, he had to say this, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. 
That's a pretty heavy burden if you're willing to say that kind of thing. To be able to say, I believe something to be true, and if the world is opposed to it, well, then I'm against the world. That's a burden. You, you can see a similar thing in what Luther said before the Diet of Worms. He finishes, I am captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. That's the kind of thing you see when it comes to an oracle, a statement of God, something that you say from the lips of God. It has weight. And of course, I've been told often that if a pastor thinks too much about what he's doing when he stands in a pulpit, he's going to go insane. Because, again, it's the same kind of thing. I'm telling you what, the, what I think the Bible is saying. I'm giving you a very heavy thing. There is weight to this. You may have noticed it, by the way, in the way that the worship team was singing earlier. Did you notice this about a lot of the songs that were sung? While they are joyful and they are uh, worshipful and positive, very few of them were flippant. They talked about a God who saves, a, a God who rules and reigns over all things, a God who redeems, a God who saves. It, it's, it's joyful, but it's weighty. It's a burden. And that's what you see when you're seeing an oracle done. You see, it's a metaphorical usage of the term burden. A burden can be weighty in the sense that my muscles are not heavy enough, are not powerful enough to lift it, or a burden can be heavy in the sense that, well, it changes things. It alters the way the world works. In fact, you can see the double entendre in, in, uh, that's functioning for the word here just so that you, you understand that I'm not just making this stuff up. If you go to Jeremiah 23, 33, you don't need to go there now. I'll read it for you. In Jeremiah 23, 33, you'll see the, ter the, the word used in, well, I think both its senses, but depending on the translation you're looking at, it might be different. It says this, when one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? Now, what he's saying when he says that is what it, he, people ask you, what is the oracle of the Lord? What is the thing that God is telling you? What is God asking you? And Jeremiah says, you shall say to them, you are the burden and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. You see, what's happened there is it's being used in both its senses. Jeremiah is playing off the Hebrew word that means oracle or burden in both ways. He's saying, when somebody asks you, what is the word of the Lord? What is the oracle of the Lord? Well, you are the burden of the Lord. And he will cast you off. It means, because there's a weight involved here. There's a weightiness involved with knowing the word of God. And you can see it if you, read, if you remember the rest of the things that Amanda read this morning. I mean, from verses 2 to 8, when you read about God here, you're not reading about a small God, are you? 
like <laughs> his way is in the whirlwind and the storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up the rivers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. I mean, we live in Newfoundland, right? You've seen the sea, haven't you? Go out, go, out, go out to Cape Spear this afternoon. Hopefully it'll be a little bit stormy offshore. You'll see the waves come in and crash off the shore. And God tells that to stop and rebukes it. God is really, really weighty. And that's what I want to start with as we begin I'm beginning going through the book of Nahum. This is an introductory sermon. I'm just going to be talking about generally what Nahum tells us about. You see, Nahum is interesting because he lived in a period about 75 years after the first part of the, uh, the Assyrian dispersion. He's about 50 to 75 years after another book in the Bible, Jonah. You, you remember Jonah, right? Had this thing about a fish, got eaten, and then he got spit up on the shore, had to talk to the city of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, same city, and Nineveh repented upon hearing the word of God. Well, that didn't stick. Nineveh had a lot of reasons to know God. The God of, the, of Israel, the God that you see working throughout scriptures. And there's a lot of instances of it. If you're reading through the book of Isaiah with us this month, and you get to about uh, the late 30s in Isaiah, you'll see another instance where Nineveh has a, an experience of the God of Israel. Here's what's happening. The armies of, of Assyria, which Nineveh is the capital, are marching south through the entirety of the northern kingdom. They wipe it out, completely destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're at the gates of Jerusalem with 130,000 troops. And the Rebshekah of Assyria, which is a, a the title of whatever thing he was. I, know, I only know that name because it's recorded in Isaiah. He comes and says to the people of Israel, people of Israel, don't trust in, the, uh, in your king, don't trust in your God. Isn't, is your God any better than the 20 gods we just wiped out? And of course, the people inside are all freaking out and terrified. There's 130,000 soldiers sitting outside the front door. And God says, well, their fight isn't with you, Judah. Their fight is now with me. Wait and see. And in one night, 130,000 soldiers are defeated. Without the work of anything by Judah, God just does it. We don't know exactly what happened, but it was big enough that the king of Assyria went back to his city of Nineveh and hid away, and ended up defeated himself. Assyria will not ever 
walk into the city of Jerusalem. It never happens. The kingdom of Assyria falls before it can happen. Not to say that Jerusalem stayed forever. There's Babylonians that come afterwards. But Assyria and its capital, Nineveh, should have known who God is. They should have known. They had direct experience, direct adverse experience. If you're like me, adverse experiences kind of sit on your brain a little bit more than positive ones. You know how it feels, right? Something bad happens to you, you remember it forever. It'll come up at the weirdest times. You'll just start, you you get embarrassed in in grade school, for goodness sakes, and 50 years later, you're sitting in the the room and, and you just remember it. And you get embarrassed all over again. You'd think Assyria would know the difference of this. They would know that this God that they were making fun of is a lot more powerful than the the other gods that they've been dealing with. They should know that they need to repent and turn to the real God because they actually had had a prophet sent to them, Jonah. And the unfortunate part for Nineveh is that despite the fact that they should have known, they'd forgotten. Despite they had the fact that they had every reason to know about the weight of who God is, they forgot. And they started acting as if God wasn't as weighty as he is. Not that we have any experience similar. You see, they had an experience of changing times. 75 years is a long time for most people. I mean, there are people who can live 75 years. It happens fairly regularly in our time period. But think about what was happening 75 years ago from us. It's the 1950s. The church was ascendant in most parts of North America. They were building new ones everywhere. Including in St. John's, by the way. Our, our province was already stating all sorts of things about how great God is. There's a reason that the motto of Newfoundland is seek first the kingdom of his God and his righteousness. There's a reason that the city we are now in is actually dedicated to the glory of God. It's in the motto. And yet times change. Times had changed for Nineveh. Nineveh had been repentant. Back in Jonah... I mean, I'm going to read a fair bit from Jonah here because it's important. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God." 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. They should have known. At one point in history, they did know. They knew that God was powerful and would strike down the evil. Isaiah 37, verses 36 to 38. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the morning came, when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishgrosh, his god, Adramelech and Sherezyar, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Arashaddon, his son, reigned in his place. It's reflected again, by the way, in 2 Kings 19, 35 to 37. They should have known. And yet, times had changed. They had spent so much time doing this kind, being powerful, being ascendant, Though they were, at the time of Nahum, at this apex of their strength, they had forgotten who God is. Something, by the way, that humans do a lot. We find ourselves blessed. We find ourselves in good times and in, in, in blessing, and we forget God. By the time time Nahum is writing about Nineveh, you see in chapter 3, verse 1, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and rumbling of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot. They believe that they are more powerful than the God who who has defeated them before. Times have changed, they've forgotten, it happens. But more than that, they've also rejected the truth of who God is. They've gone back to all sorts of the evils that they had before. When Jonah went through the city and said, this city is going to be destroyed. Can't remember the exact statement, but his sermon is like eight words. Eight days more and the city will be destroyed. That's it. They knew it, and they came, and they repented, and they aren't doing it now. You see, they hadn't just forgotten the truth. This is something that we should probably recognize for ourselves, just in case you're worried about it, and this is something I actually talked about this morning in Sunday school. Because we're humans and because we're sinful, If we leave ourselves from understanding who God is, we will revert to sin. We just will. The society that's around us, they usually don't know God, so they've got a bit of an excuse for this kind of stuff. We claim to know God, but if we don't think about it, if we don't think through what we're dealing with when we go out into the world, we're going to fall behind and we're going to end up rejecting the truth of God for the sakes of what we see out there. 
will say all sorts of things about how we know better now. This is not new. This has happened over and over and over again in history. Heck, I'm telling you about a city that did this in 300 BC. It happens all the time. If you don't affirm the truth, if you don't see the weight of the truth of God, if you don't spend your time understanding the word of God, you will end up rejecting it. And it's a, there's simple reasons for it. We're sinners. We don't like what God says. I mean, like Nineveh, we would prefer that the world actually revolved around us, wouldn't we? I mean, I would. I would totally love it if all of you would do whatever I needed to be happy. It'd be great. But that's the way everybody's thinking. And we can't all be right, and so we end up either isolating ourselves from one another and avoiding community altogether so we can pretend that we still rule our worlds, or we end up trying to force one another to be the people that we want them to be. It happens in marriages, it happens in friendships, it happens in siblings, it happens everywhere. And the people of Nineveh should have known better, but they rejected the truth. But here's the problem that they faced. Here's the problem that we all face. Truth isn't afraid of a question. Truth also doesn't care if we disagree. If you want to disagree with the truth, that's fine. Truth is going to win. It always will. As Jordan Peterson would say often, uh, reality has, does terrible things to people who will ignore it. We don't get a choice to ignore God. We don't. You can ignore God. You can ignore God for a long time. You can keep going forever trying to live your life as you please. But reality will assert itself. As Johnny Cash would sing in his song, When the Man com Comes Around, you can go on for a long time. You can go on for a long time. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Reality comes. And more than that, more than that, reality isn't just an impersonal force. This is what we see in the, re the remainder of Nahum from verse 1 to 8 here. Reality has a name. If you want to know what that name is, it's Yahweh. Reality has a name, and, it do, and he does assert himself. And we know this. In famous speeches, everyone says things like this. They'll say, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. That's correct. Because, again, history is ruled by someone, namely God. 
So the question that we are left with and the question that Nineveh was left with and the reason that Nahum points out that Nineveh has a burden, Nahum being largely a no-name guy from a town we don't even know where it is. You can believe in God and trust in him or you can reject him. One of those two options has a future. I hate quoting Agent Smith from The Matrix, but there we go. (laughs) One of these two choices has a future. The other does not. The problem with Nineveh was that they were choosing the bad way. They were choosing to believe that they could stand over and against God. They could pretend that God wasn't real. They could pretend that their gods that they had created in their own image were more powerful than the God of the Israelites that also happened to be the God of the universe. The God that is described throughout the remainder here. And they could have trusted in God. They could have turned to him and repented because God actually has done it before. God has relented when they repented. But there is a burden to this. There is a burden to knowing who God is. By the way, I think that's one of the reasons why we as a church end up preaching from the Bible so often. There's a real weightiness to who God is. There's a weightiness to what he says. There's a a weight to his truth that bears on our lives. And so we are left with a choice. Like Nineveh was left with a choice. Will we trust reality? Will we trust God? Will we trust in the way that he has set before us to be reconciled to himself? And brothers and sisters, this is good news. You can turn to him. You are not capable of being worse than God's ability to save you. Because God can save you to the uttermost. But Here's the thing, if you are saved, if you do turn to him, if you do repent, it will change your life. I'm not going to say you have to do all sorts of new things to come to Jesus, but if you come to Jesus, all things are going to change. You can't understand that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that the Father has loved you from all eternity and has set up a world where you can be reconciled to him, where you can be fully holy, and then simply walk away and pretend that that's not important, and then turn your salvation into a thing you put in your wallet. I remember that I turned to Jesus in 1978. If you truly turn to Jesus, it will change you. It will make you different. It will have effects on your life. And if you're not seeing effects on your life by turning to Jesus, you have to be worried that you might be a little bit like Nineveh. You might actually be giving your false God the name Yahweh and pretending that the real God is your false God. Because in the end, We only have this simple choice to make. 
Will we trust the God who saves to the uttermost, who brings all things under his command and under his reign, and who, brothers and sisters, loves you more than you could ever imagine? More than any human has ever loved another person, God loves you. You can turn to him. He has made a way to accept you. But you can also turn away from him. You can pretend that he doesn't exist. You can pay lip service on Sunday mornings to how much Jesus has done in your life and and walk out right afterwards and live as if he doesn't have any value whatsoever. You can do that for a while. You may even do it for your entire life. I please God, I hope you don't. But it will eventually end because God does actually care about righteousness and he does actually bring things to fruition under him. Jesus talked about, by the way, the issue of salvation and of accepting, uh, accepting God in one of his parables. Do you remember this? Uh, four, the four soils that you see in Mark? He talked about how three of the soils, namely that was, that was thrown on the road and got taken away, that which had a, a small amount but didn't have any root, got burned up by the sun, or the one that got choked out by the cares of the world. By the way, those three are not saved. They've all been destroyed. They've all found their, the thing that God has given them, and they found it left desolate because they lived in a way that wasn't following God. And we can do that. So, point one for application before we finish, and I apologize for how possibly discordant this may have been, but point one. If you do not trust in God today, if you are not, and I'll use the term a little bit differently, if you are not trusting in God today, might I recommend it today to turn to him? He's waiting now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day you can turn to him and be accepted by him. He has given his son that you might be reconciled right now. You don't need to live another microsecond away from God. You can be changed now. It might be painful over the long term, but it can start now. And it doesn't matter how horrible you think you are. It doesn't matter how far you think you've been able to run because we're not talking about some light savior. We're not talking about a self-help guru. We're talking about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who does all things by the power of his will alone. He is capable of saving anyone. But second of all, if you have come to saving faith in the past, Check your heart. And this is why I use the present continuous when I said, are you believing in Jesus? Check your heart. Are you still trusting in him today? Are you actually 
just paying lip service this morning as we sing songs to the King of Kings and just pretending that you believe this stuff and getting good warm feelies, but are planning to go out into the world and live as if God does not exist. Brothers and sisters, that's dangerous. The weight of who God is is far more than that. That is why an oracle is a burden. When I tell you who the truth of who God is, you can't just turn away and say this doesn't matter because if anything matters in the universe, God does. You can't just pretend he's not there. And you can't pretend, even if you pay lip service, that that's adequate. So, and, this, and I'm not actually saying to f- embrace some f- weird form of legalism. What I'm saying is you need to actually be seeking Jesus with everything that you are, seeking God with everything that you are. Your reactions to the world outside have to be tempered by who God is above all else. Because otherwise, well, the arc of history is long as it bends towards justice. And if you are on the side of injustice, that means the arc of the universe turns against you. Brothers and sisters, we want to be God's friends, not his enemy. He has made every opportunity for you to be his friend. I beg you, please just take it. And if you have made that decision in the past, and you're not living it, and you know you're not living it, take this moment to just repent. Turn to him. He is still there for you. He is still willing to accept. Because ultimately, while the oracles of God may be a burden, take my burden upon you. (laughs) Because it's light. My burden is easy and my weight is light. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and you've said that it will not go forward void, and I'm claiming those promises now. I pray that insofar as what I have said today is your truth, that it would find purchase in hearts right now. Lord God, I pray that you would be transforming people even now into the image of your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would be granting repentance here in this church even now. Not the kind of repentance where we feel horrible about ourselves and don't change anything, but the kind of repentance that really does change who we are because we trust in who you are. As the song said, we're fighting battles you've already won and we will overcome because you already have. Just pray in Jesus' name.